was a church leader, a pastor of a, a Baptist church about a mile or so uh, outside Oxford, uh, so was there for about 19 years or so. I was really young when I started, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I did that for 19 years. And then you've, you're now working for Living Out. Just tell us what Living Out is as an organization. Yeah, so Living Out is uh, a group of uh, Christian leaders who experience attraction to people of the same sex or gay, same-sex attracted, but believe in living in line with Jesus' teaching that marriage is for a man and a woman. And so we kind of talk about that um, to churches all over the country. We've got a website with lots of questions being answered, which is an interesting way to earn a living. But, uh, <laughs> And how are you going? Because you only made this move just last year from the, from the Baptist. How are you doing with the bereavement of leaving your church family? It, it's weird, actually. I mean, uh, yeah, so I say, traveling around the country speaking on, on sexuality, I, I, I kind of miss being a pastor just with one church family uh, that I'm investing in. But equally, just a real sense that this is just one of the big issues, both for people personally, but also in the church at large. Uh, and so it feels, yeah, I felt like God led me into uh, just making this the, uh, the main thrust of my time. Well, you're very welcome. Let's give Andy a big round of applause to show our welcome. Um, as I said, he'll be preaching this morning on 1 John 4 about love and then this evening on a, a, a sort of bigger canvas of the Bible's view of marriage and sexuality. Uh, but before that, we're going to sing again. The band know that, I think. The reading is taken from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, morning, everybody. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to thank you that you're here by your Spirit, and we're hungry to hear from you. We don't live on bread alone. We live on every word that comes through your mouth. So please, won't you speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, love is in the air. You might have noticed that it's Valentine's Day this week. I have to be honest, it's not a day that features prominently in my diary. In fact, I needed Jonathan to remind me that it was Valentine's Day this week. But don't really notice a news story this week that the, uh, the stationery firm Paper Chase has hit some controversy because they were selling Valentine's Day cards and they came up with a three-for-two special offer. <laughs> and it was kind of pointed out, of all the things that you want to sell three-for-two of, maybe Valentine's Day cards is not the best option. 
Unless you're particularly frugal and you want to buy for the next three years, Paper Chase is the place to go. But I guess it's Tuesday, isn't it? Where people will be encouraged to look lovingly into each other's eyes over candlelit meals and so on. Love is in the air this Tuesday. And of course, as Jonathan's already mentioned, the theme of love has been very much in the air at General Synod this week. And the decision to affirm prayers for the blessing of those who enter same-sex marriages. And of course, instinctively, culturally, we kind of feel positive. I mean, after all, surely this is a celebration of love. And who on earth would want to limit something as good as love? Let me explain where I'm coming from. As Jonathan mentioned, I've been attracted to people of the same sex, gay for well, since my teenage years, which is about 30 years or so now. And I've also been a Christian for about the same length of time. I want to live with Jesus as my Lord. Now, I'll spend much longer on this this evening, but I do believe that Jesus teaches that sex is for marriage of a man and a woman. And so for me as a Christian, that's how I want to live, even though there'll be some cost in that. And actually, if the church is going to have Jesus as their Lord, I believe the church needs to be in line with what Jesus teaches. But does that mean the church basically becomes anti-love? I mean, that's a rubbish position to be in, isn't it? Of all the things you want to be anti, surely you don't want to be anti-love. So I'm not going to get into the detail of why I've come to the view I have on sexuality this morning, Come back this evening uh, if you want that. Rather, I want to pick up this theme. How can we be a group of people who truly celebrate love, both in our individual lives and as a church family? To do that, we need to know what love's all about. And John helps us. John, one of Jesus' disciples, helps us, as in this chapter that was read to us, 1 John 4, he details what love is and tells us how we can be a loving community. It also happens to be one of the most dense theological passages in the New Testament. So if you forgive me, I'm not going to work through it verse by verse. I'm going to do it chronologically. Give you, if you like, a story of how love works. And here's the first thing we see we see that God is love. God is love. Let me give you some good news this morning. At the heart of the universe is the God who made us, and that God is love. He always has been. You can go as far back into eternity as you can possibly imagine, and there he is, the God who is love. You can go as far into the future as you can possibly imagine, and there still will be a God who is love. And this is where the idea that God is Trinity is so wonderful. I mean, sometimes it's perplexing, isn't it? Three persons, one God, how does that work? Perhaps some of us have got sort of images from childhood of drawing three-leaf clovers and stuff, which is always heretical. But, but anyway, you have this Trinity, this God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Let me tell you why that's good news. It's good news because God is Father, Son, and Spirit. That means He loves and is love. You get a glimpse of it, don't you, when Jesus is baptized. There he is as He's lowered into the water and 
the voice of the Father, this is my Son whom I love. And you know that Jesus is doing His ministry, well, because He loves His Father, because they've agreed this plan together, and the Son wants to honor the Father. And there's the Spirit, the Spirit symbolized by the dove, the Spirit of love who binds the Father and the Son together. And what you get when that's happening is the curtains are being pulled back, and you see the situation that's been for eternity. God at the heart of the universe, a loving God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why this Trinity is so precious. You realize if you just had a one-person God, He couldn't be love? Because actually before the world began, He was all in His own, with nobody to love. But rather the God we've been praising, the God we've been worshiping, the God who made us, the God at the center of the universe, is forever God who is love, Father, Son, and Spirit. I don't know about you, that makes me want to adore Him and worship Him and delight in Him. Now, can I make a technical grammatical point here? The verse that John gives us says God is love, and that is actually quite different from saying love is God. Have you noticed that? Let's be honest, probably the prevailing view in our culture is that the greatest good in the world is that kind of romantic love, is that looking into somebody's eyes and saying how beautiful they are, of your heart going boom, 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 boom. And for many people, that's the greatest good in the universe, this great erotic romantic love, that's the greatest good in the universe. That's been particularly the case since the 1960s when sex was discovered. But um, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> but probably since then, the cultural narrative has been that is the main goal in life, to find sex sexual satisfaction in a romantic relationship. And I suppose I want to ask us, I wonder, how is that going? Since the sexual revolution in the 1960s, Here's the question that sometimes is worth pondering. I wonder whether as a society we're significantly happier. I suspect the figures around sort of mental health and so on might indicate that we probably haven't found perfect satisfaction yet. That actually somehow idolizing love, saying the main goal is to find this romantic relationship, ultimately actually lets us down. And it's not hard to work out why. Because if you say love is God by means of a kind of romantic relationship, what you are saying to this person who makes your heart go boom, 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 is this, you've got to fulfill me perfectly and permanently. You know, the, the, this relationship always needs to make me feel like this all the time. All my needs need to be met in you. That's what happens if we say love is God. It's basically saying this other human being has got to be worthy of all my adoration forever. Now, I don't know about you, that's quite a big burden for a human being to carry. <laughs> An imperfect human being. A human being who, I don't know, gets irritable occasionally. <laughs> I want to suggest that to say love is God is, is actually deadly. <laughs> because it says, you've got to fulfill me perfectly all the time, 
And if you don't, our relationship is in doubt. And boy, is that a path to insecurity. Here's my contention, that to put romantic love at the center of the universe doesn't actually work ultimately. It doesn't lead to satisfaction. And the right person to have at the center of the universe, the right person to have in control of our lives is the God who made us, is the God who is worthy of worship because he is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit. He is eternally love. And then what you see as John works his way through this section is that that love overflows you know, God is like this overflowing fountain, loving within this circle of love, and it overflows out. And it overflows out when he creates the world. You know, we are the result of the overflow of God's love. But then you're probably aware how the story of the world works its way out. God's love overflows. He makes each one of us. And we make the decision to ignore him, reject him. We don't make him the center of the universe. We actually think we know better. Now, imagine you're God for a moment. That might not be something to do for too long, but imagine you're God for a moment. And here are these people you've made and created, and they've rejected you, and they've ignored you, and they've wandered away from you. What would you do? Oh, stuff you lot. <laughs> Wipe you out, maybe. Isn't it funny, actually, how when relationships are broken, there's often a kind of stalemate? You perhaps see it in individual relationships where there's been a fallout and there's kind of, well, I'll only go towards them if they apologize. No, no, I'll only go towards them if they apologize. We see it at a kind of industrial level with the strikes at the moment, the, just the stalemates waiting for a better offer from the other side. Or, or tragically, you see it, don't you, at an international scale. You see the ongoing disputes, Israel and Palestine, and no way forward because nobody will make the first move. Here's the astonishing story of the universe. I feel like there's a breakdown in relationships between God and human beings. And it's all our fault. And yet God makes the first move. Why? Because he loves. Because he loves. See what John says. He puts it like this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is a definite moment in history where God shows us just how much he loves us. When seeing us dead in our sins, the father and the son say, we're going to sort it out. We're going to come to the rescue. Where Jesus shows us his love. This is how Jesus showed his love among us. It says in uh, chapter 3, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Where he sets his face towards Jerusalem. Knowing what awaits him there. 
knowing he's going to be flogged, knowing he's going to be hung up in shame upon a cross, knowing he's going to end up crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he goes. Why? Because he loves us. He really does love us and is willing to pay the price for our sins. I wonder whether you feel loved this morning. Let's be honest, there are a couple of reasons why as Christians sometimes we struggle to feel loved. Maybe it's the circumstance we're going through. You know, some of us around the room, maybe we're in a really painful situation, and it, sometimes, to be honest, it feels as though God's not doing anything, and does he really love me if this is the case? There is a place in the history of the world which shows that he really does love us. And it's a place called Calvary, where Jesus has shown his love for us forever. And can I say, if you are at the moment just doubting, can he really love me given all that I'm going through? Go back there this morning. He really does love you. Or there's another reason I think we sometimes struggle to, to know the Lord's love for us. I think it's really common actually amongst Christians is we kind of carry around with us a low-lying sense of guilt all the time. Because, hey, we're just aware of our failures. And maybe it was a really big sin in the past, something we know was wrong, and it just has haunted us for years. Or maybe that sin that you keep just falling into. And so often what we think as a result is, he really can't love me. Because we kind of think that God's love needs to be earned rather than received. You know, if I get to a, a certain level of reading the Bible or a certain level of, you know, putting that sin to death, then he'll love me. And do you know the good news of this passage? God showed his love for us when we were still messed up in our sin. He laid down his life for us. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As it might be for some of us this morning where we're just so aware of our failings, we just need to receive his love again. He really does love us. But then there's a a third step. First step, God is love. Second step, he shows his love by coming and paying for our sin in the person of the Lord Jesus. But then there's a, a third step. And maybe we don't think about this very much. God then puts his love in our hearts. See how he puts it. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Or verse 12, God lives in us. Just after the reading we have, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. Do you realize that if you've put your trust in Jesus... You're as close to God as you could possibly be because he lives in you and you live in him. We're joined to him. Um, I've never been pregnant, um, but um, I I gather that people who do, the the question they end up asking is, where are the baby and me going to go together today? Because we're not going to do it apart. And that's exactly the position the Christian is in. Wherever you go, Jesus is going with you because he's in you and you're in him 
and we're joined together. The God who is love shows his love on the cross, and then he comes to live within us. As we're born again, his spirit comes to dwell within our hearts. And that experience is a deep experience of love. Let me share with you some of the most amazing words Jesus ever said. It's his night before he dies. And he's praying to the Father. And he prays this. He's actually praying for us. He's praying for those who are going to believe in him through the message that the first disciples preached. He prays for us. And he says, he prays that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, have a think for a moment. How much do you think God the Father loves God the Son? Little bit? Tiny, small amount? Or has God the Father loved God the Son powerfully and eternally and gloriously? And Jesus prays that the love that God the Father has for him will be in us. Just want to ponder that for a moment. We are that dear to God that because Jesus lives within us, God the Father loves us just as he loves God the Son. Have you ever thought that it's a vaguely good thing to be a Christian? Just to be on the receiving end of that level of love. You see, if we're Christians, we know God's love in two ways. We can look and see it at a definite moment in history. And then we know God's love deep within our hearts. Because God's put it there, because we are joined to him. We're loved, and actually the call is just simply to receive that and to believe it actually to believe that Jesus speaks the truth, that God the Father says yes to that prayer. And we are deeply and powerfully loved. And you know the wonderful thing about that? It's not going to change. Let's be honest, some of our feelings of love, they go a bit up and down, don't they? You know, maybe looking over the candle, it'd be, oh, maybe on a Saturday morning, mm. Whereas for eternity, the Father is consistent in loving us in the same way that he loves his Son, the Lord Jesus. It's a glorious thing to be a Christian. And then John's fourth step. God is love. God shows his love. God's love comes to live within us. And then John will say this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. That actually this love that God has poured into our hearts, just as love overflowed from him, so love is to overflow from us and out towards each other. And actually that's not a small thing. Here's how, uh, how he puts it in chapter 3. Having spoken about Jesus, laying down his life for us, John will then go on and say, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here's what love looks like for the Christian. Love looks like death. Just to cheer you up with that thought. 
That actually the calling on our lives, if we've got God's love in our hearts, if we've received it at the cross, is to pour out our lives for each other in a kind of death-like way. Often the way I put it is love involves walking towards the pain. I remember when I was a a church leader uh, back in Oxford, often what would happen on a Sunday morning would be this. I would sort of look out over the congregation, and I knew over there was somebody going through a really tough time. Maybe they face bereavement, maybe they're wrestling with depression. There's that person over there. There's the person over there, and I know I can have a really easy conversation about the football last night with them. And actually, very often, the choice that faced me was which way was it going to go? And love walks towards the pain because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And you might think, how on earth can we walk towards the pain because God's love is within us? Because actually all the capacity to love which he has is put within our hearts. And so for the Christian community to love will involve a kind of death so often to our comfort and to what we want. But we want to walk towards that other person. That's what love looks like, according to John. But you begin to see how rich this is, how glorious this is, to have a community where as we go through pain, there are people walking towards us. And then maybe when we're going through better times, we can be the person who walks towards the pain. What's kept me going, as somebody who probably won't have a romantic relationship in this world, is being in a Christian community where that happens. Well, actually, where some of the pains of singleness at times, some of the loneliness, it's actually been met with people walking towards me. Funnily enough, I was in Norfolk uh, yesterday and was doing an event with Living Out. And if I'm honest, on the kind of six-hour train journey from Norfolk back to uh, Oxford, around sort of seven o'clock, I remember just thinking, I'm tired, I'm weary, I've just given in myself, and I've got to preach tomorrow. I remember just sort of texting a mate saying, please pray. And I woke this morning text. How did you sleep last night? Was praying. Praying for you today. Go for it. And sometimes, actually, I'm the one who'll send that kind of text to somebody else, because that's how it should work, because we're a church family. We walk towards the pain. But I want to say that this is so rich. I have to be honest. If you offer me the choice of a Valentine's Day meal, sort of look, you know, look into each other's eyes and just all the ups and the downs and that. If you put that up against an eternity of love, being loved by the creator of the universe, receiving his love at the cross, the God of heaven living within me, and then having a community of rich friendships. I do want to say that's better than that one in the end. It's more stable. It lasts not just for this life, it lasts for eternity. We need to be confident that the Christian story of love, a God who is love at the center of the universe, a God who's shown his love, a God who's put us in our hearts, a God who enables us to be a loving community, that really is the best thing in the universe. It's the best thing in the world. And I want us to be confident of that. 
So what do we do this morning? Maybe for some of us, there's just a call to adore, to get into our heads, wow, for all eternity, God is love. And just worship and adore that sort of God. For some of us, the call this morning is to receive. Maybe you are just the person carrying a a bit of guilt around and actually you're trying to earn God's love and God today is saying to you, won't you receive it? You don't have to earn it. Lord Jesus is saying, I've died for you to show my love for you. Just receive my love. Some of us actually, we just need to realize the resources we have. The God who is love lives within you. Every day, the question the Christian asks is, what are Jesus and I going to do together today? Because we're in him, and he's in us. The Jesus who is love lives within us. You've got the resources to love. And it might be for some of us, the call is simply, okay, God's given me all that I need. I need to start walking towards the pain. There's that person that I've been walking away from them. Actually, I need to go towards them. There's that person who I know wrestles with loneliness, and sometimes it can be awkward, but I need to go towards them. Because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we're called to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But I want us also to believe this really is the best thing in the world. Will you stand with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we worship you, the God who is love. Praise you for who you are. And we want to receive that love afresh. We want to gaze on the cross and know that we're loved. And we want to know that you're so close to us and you've put your love in our hearts. So please now, as we we stand in your presence, please speak those truths afresh to us, we pray.